Hello and welcome to the United Launch Alliance Vulcan Centaur Podcast. I'm Derek Brecken, and I'll be your host over the course of this series as we sit down with the team bringing ULA's newest rocket to life. My name is Tori Bruno. I'm the president and CEO of United Launch Alliance. Before I came here, or right before I came here, you could almost think of ULA in a way as an extension of the Air Force. We were the only company that could fly the full range of national security space missions, not to mention NASA's most challenging exploration missions as well. And therefore, we were also the sole custodians of assured access to space. So we had to have two redundant systems that could go to any orbit. And then, just as I came on board, the industry had begun to mature enough that we could have multiple providers, and that would enable the possibility of competition, which is healthy for industry and good for the customer. But what it meant to us was the giant challenge of fundamentally transforming a business that had been set up to cater to the government customer in a sole source environment into one that could compete head to head in a completely commercial context. And that required a fundamental transformation of our business. I imagine at that point, that's when you started looking at options like Vulcan to, to keep the competitive advantage here at ULA. Yes, Vulcan was part of our overall strategy, which we had on day one, starting in 2014, right through to today, that we were able to sort of consistently march down that strategy. And of course, Vulcan was a major part of that. It enabled a couple of very important elements, one of which being to simplify our product structure and to allow our competitive uh, teammates out in industry, if you will, to shoulder the burden with us of assured access. So when I got here, we had, depending on how you counted them, well over 40 different types of rockets we flew across three different families. Four, if you count the Delta Heavy as its own family, and, and so Vulcan allowed us to really consolidate all of that into really just eight different platforms. So a significant simplification of that. It also allowed us to retire the venerable RD-180 uh, rocket engine, which we were being asked by the country to do. So for anybody listening who's not familiar with leading a company into designing a new rocket, uh, what was that experience like for you personally to lead uh, uh, the team here at ULA? Well, first off, it was super exciting and an enormous amount of fun and more than a little terrifying <laughs> because you are, of course, betting the entire future of the company and everybody's job on getting that right. And when you develop a new space launch vehicle, you have to place some really big bets because it will take five to seven years to develop the rocket. And then you expect to fly that rocket for the better part of two decades, which means you have to look into the future many years and think you know where the marketplace is going to be and what capabilities your customers are going to need and design a rocket that fits all that. So these are really big bets based on that crystal ball. So that part of it is is, you know, pretty stressful. <laughs> I can imagine. The other part, the technology part, that's just fun. You know, that's wonderful. And I've done that many times over my career. And we have such a great team here. And we had a wonderful catalog of 
of technologies that we could choose from to put this architecture together, the hard part was predicting what it was going to need to do. And of course, first test being this phase two competition, we just won. So you touched on this a little bit, but Vulcan is the vehicle. How would you categorize or, or describe ULA's strategy to respond to this increased competition in the marketplace that you mentioned? Yeah, well, that, that's a bigger picture. So, you know, our strategy was, I'll say, relatively simple. It's one of those strategies that sort of says easy but does hard. And it wasn't complicated. It only had four or five elements to it. You know, the first most important element was to maintain our core value of 100% mission success on time, but also to significantly reduce our costs, which drove us to restructuring the company, redesigning our supply chain into really strategic partnerships, simplifying the product structure, as I said, introducing this new Vulcan rocket, and we had to pick the marketplace that that was centered on. One of the interesting things about rocket design, especially in the, in the launch industry that people don't necessarily appreciate, is your rocket is sort of fixed. Even a rocket like ours, which is a little bit novel in that it is what we call a dial rocket. You can add or subtract uh, solid rocket boosters to change the the performance point of the rocket a little bit. But essentially, the rocket is the rocket. You have what you have. And therefore, it is optimized for one particular kind of mission. And then it has overlapping capabilities that kind of move to the left and to the right of that point, and you capture the rest of the market. But you have to pick where you're going to be centered. And where that point is is where you are the most competitive. So that you have to decide. And that's part of what we were talking about before when we talked about, you know, looking into the crystal ball and making that big bet. And so Vulcan allows us to really do that. And in our strategy, we focused on the high-end national security space mission, which overlaps very nicely with the high-end exploration missions in NASA. So that's really one mission set. We didn't try and optimize it for commercial missions or for small satellites in the commercial telecom industry, for example. We stuck to our core, what we're really good at and what really inspires our people. But then we sought to broaden the applicability of the rocket by giving it some amount of flexibility. So in our industry, you'll hear, for example, the phrase dual launch. And one of our competitors, Ariane Spas, is really good at this. They have a a rocket, the Ariane 5, that is specifically designed to take communication satellites to GTO. That's its optimize. A pair, always a pair, a big one and a little one. And they talk about a forward and an aft payload compartment. And that's their optimum. But there are challenges. you got to get two satellites of those sizes going to the same place at the same time. You can. They make a very good business out of that. But when we centered Vulcan on the National Security Space Mission, we also did things to make it able to be a very capable multi-launch vehicle. So able not to just launch a big and a little, but two bigs, three mediums, you know, five littles, you know, 50 micros, to try and give it some more plus or minus away from its optimum to capture more marketplace 
and also in a way to anticipate where even our core customers might go in the future because we plan to fly the Vulcan for a decade or two. Outside of the versatility of Vulcan, um, when we're looking at the phase two win here at ULA, not only in the lion's share of the contract, but also in coming in at best uh, cost, uh, what, what do you point to? Yes. Well, first off, um, you know, I have to, to point out that that was really the culmination of this five-year transformation that I talked about. And one of the things I haven't talked about with our people through that entire journey is the track record of companies that attempt a major transformation, that experience a sea state change in their environment like we did, sole source to hyper-competitive, single source to multiple competitors. Uh, the business schools and all the studies and all the papers tell you that no more than 10% of companies can survive that. So the odds are greatly against you. Far and away, most companies fail and just go broke. We did not. We came through that and, and survived, but we did more than survive. The culmination of that was that phase two competition where, quite frankly, we did extremely well. And as you pointed out in your question, not only did we win the lion's share of emissions on a best value basis, we also were the lowest price overall. We knew we were going to be competitive. We did not actually, in all honesty, expect to be the lowest price. But all the things that we did, all the hard things we did over five, almost six years, you know, restructuring the company, completely redesigning the supply chain, introducing this new wonderful rocket, right-sizing our workforce, that was tough. All of those things brought our costs down and made us more competitive. And in the end, this was the result. So over the course of this series, we've kind of talked about how Vulcan will transform ULA or how ULA will use Vulcan to transform what it can offer. Um, how do you see Vulcan impacting the space launch industry at large? That's also a wonderful question. You know, Vulcan is such a versatile platform all by itself, but we're not going to be standing still with it. This is a competitive environment put together with a situation where the country is facing extreme challenges in space that will evolve over time. Our adversaries are now challenging us. They have weaponized space. They have made space a contested environment. We will respond to that, and they will respond to what we do. And so this never ends. So it's not only a competition in the business context. It is now a great nation competition as well. So our plan with Vulcan is to take this wonderfully capable base platform and continue to evolve it. And that will cause our competitors to chase us. We'll focus a lot of our energy on the upper stage. We have the most advanced upper stage in the world already with Centaur 3. Centaur 5 just takes that to a whole nother level. It's more than two and a half times the energy. It is far more than that number of times the impulse that can be delivered. And already we are developing mission extension kits for our human spaceflight missions that will increase its on-orbit duration by more than 450x. That's just the beginning. And so that platform will continue to evolve. We will stay well out in front of our competition, specializing in what is the highest end of high-end missions, the things that you do 
after you've arrived in space. That's a good segue into my next question here. The, the launch service industry in the United States plays a unique role in facilitating national defense. Um, how does that role or responsibility influence the design of Vulcan? Profoundly. We are very interested in supporting all of our customers. Certainly the exploration missions at NASA are very important to us. They make a difference for our species understanding its place in the universe. When we take on commercial customers, we know that their business depends on our performance, and we take that very, very seriously. Having said all that, we also are acutely aware of the role that we play in safeguarding the security of our great nation, and then the role that that in turn plays in providing stability around the globe. That is tremendously important to me personally. It is important to nearly every single person who works at ULA, and we take that pretty darn seriously, and it influenced the decisions we made on Vulcan. When we centered Vulcan on that high-end mission space, we were conscious of our duty to the nation in doing so, and to make sure we did the hard things in the business transformation so that we could be here to continue serving our country's needs. So yes, it, it had a pretty profound and deliberate impact on our design. Changing gears a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about how your time at ULA and how your time as CEO has influenced your leadership style and your strategy. Oh, well, this is such a wonderful team. You know, it, uh, when you're, you know, when you're a leader, you know, you have obviously, you know, a tremendous amount of responsibility, you know, especially when you're a CEO at a, at a company you are, of course, acutely aware that everybody's depending on you. You know, you, you get to set the strategic direction of your company and you have an influence over how it is executed. And therefore, you know that if you don't do a good job, that uh, the missions are not served and, you know, people don't have employment. So you have that, that weighing, that responsibility weighing on you as well. But having said all that, Really, you don't get to design the rocket yourself. You don't get to build the rocket in Decatur. You don't get to put the rocket together and launch it at Cape Canaveral. Our team does all of that. And your job is really to enable their success and to allow people that, who are just so wonderfully talented. We have just brilliant people here at ULA in really all aspects of our business, not just our rocket scientists, but everybody, our finance people, our planners, our communicators. We have wonderful people here, and they take this work so so seriously. So your job is to create an environment where they can do that, and that's how I've really focused here at ULA. You know, you, part of my role is to, is to bring clarity through this, you know, sort of foggy seas that we had to sail through over the last five years uh, to set that compass and to provide sort of that calm confidence so that our people knew that they could rise to this challenge, because I knew they could. I had never a doubt in my mind that despite what I said a moment ago about how most businesses utterly fail when presented with this type of challenge, I had no doubt that our team could handle it, they could come through it, and they could make all of this work. So part of my job was to you know, convey to them my confidence in them and to provide them with the tools to succeed that. Uh, decisiveness is also important. We were faced with a challenge that 
was not in our strategy and no one anticipated a global pandemic. There's no playbook for that. Depending on how you count them, this is only the fourth or perhaps the fifth in human history. And although we have business continuity plans like every business, they are grossly inadequate when it comes to something like this. So we had to take that head on uh, as a senior leadership team. When this started, we met every single day, and every time we met, there were decisions to be made. There were new things being learned, and in that particular case is when you really know that you have a team because teamwork is easy when things are going well. The real test is when things are challenging, difficult, or not going well. That's when people pull together and really show how they can work as a team and what they're really made of. Our team did a really a, an amazing job coming through this to keep our people safe, to continue delivering on our missions. We missed nothing on the manifest this year. Launched every single mission that showed up at a pad and was ready to go. I can't say enough about the professionalism and the courage of our team to do that. But as I said when I started this story, it also meant that we had to be willing to make decisions quickly, decisively, to be agile, uh, to react based on what was known. And when new things were learned, when the country or the CDC got smarter, to react to that as well. And that's also partly the leader's job. So looking ahead a little bit, um, let's talk about how the recent discovery of water on Mars, excuse me, on the moon, um, impacts the future of the aerospace industry. And um, in what ways do you see ULA taking advantage of uh, this new development? Well, it absolutely affects the future of the aerospace industry. And in fact, I think affects the future of humanity. There are tremendous natural resources in cislunar space more than are easily comprehended by our human brains. Many of the things that are scarce and difficult to come by here on Earth that govern what we do and what we're able to do and what we fight over, sadly, are not rare at all in the universe and, in fact, are not rare at all just between here and the moon and the near-Earth objects. The abundance is mind-boggling, and it holds the potential for just great wealth, you know, great changes to the state of human dignity on this planet, and really even a post-scarcity human future. And we now know this. You know, over the last decade or so, NASA has surveyed these celestial bodies, and we understand that this tremendous potential exists. Why isn't there a gold rush? Well, because we live in this very, very deep gravity well here on Earth, and if we needed to establish a transportation system in space, which is really what we're talking about, we're talking about commerce in cislunar space, commerce conducted over great distances, which means it's all about the transportation network, which ultimately means it's all about energy. If we had to establish that by bringing every bit of propellant off from the surface of the Earth through the gravity well up there, it would still, despite this tremendous wealth, be economically and from an infrastructure standpoint, impractical. If only the propellant was already there. Lo and behold, here is water now everywhere we look. Over 20 billion metric tons alone on the moon. And as it would just so happen to be, water is very easily converted into hydrogen and oxygen, the most energetic chemical propellants that are practically used today. It's almost as if it's meant to be. 
And so what this means is that we can establish a cislunar economy that is not only self-sustaining, but brings great wealth and great prosperity back to our people who live on Earth and sets us on a track where eventually these things are just not in short supply, a post-scarcity human future. So there will be whole industries in aerospace that serve that. Uh, we will be a big part of it. Through space transportation is all about the kinds of technologies that we talked about a few moments ago. We're already working on, on the things that would enable our upper stages to be a fundamental part of enabling this future. And thinking about this bright future that you've just described, what excites you most about the future here at ULA as we get ready to watch Vulcan launch? Well, you know, it's, it's the possibilities. So when we bring this new rocket online, it will just be a tremendous event for everyone here, the culmination of seven years of hard work. But at the same time, it's a doorway that opens into the future I just described. Such a capable platform that will be able to do so many things, not the least of which, of course, is the security of our country and the exploration of our universe, but also to enable this cislunar future, this great democratization of space where thousands of men and women live there and work there, where they have gone to space because they can have a better life in space, where the work that they do there improves all of humanity. Thank you for listening to the final episode of United Launch Alliance's Vulcan Centaur series. If you'd like to stay up to date with ULA news and events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ULA Launch.